0: Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on AirTalk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. Epidemiologist and professor at UCLA's Fielding School of Public Health, Dr. Timothy Brewer. Dr. Brewer, very good morning to you.
1: Good morning to you, too, Larry. Uh,
0: I'm sure, you, you know, you, you probably don't have uh, exact details on what the governor is planning, but what does that mean to treat the virus as endemic instead of as a pandemic?
1: I think it's just the recognition, Larry, that this virus will continue to circulate in the community going forward and that the case numbers are dropping. So we're not seeing the high rates of cases that we saw over the winter months.
0: We do have now uh, a threshold of 30,000 L.A. County deaths from COVID-19 that we have just surpassed, which, you know, gives us a sense uh, of the scope of the pandemic and within less than two years, the losses that we've sustained.
1: Oh, it's, it's really tragic. And hopefully we can continue to encourage people to get vaccinated, those who've been vaccinated to get boosted so that we can do as much as we can to Try and prevent any future deaths from occurring.
0: We've seen covid nineteen cases plummet all across the United States. And one of the things that uh, has has been asked is why if if the measures that we've used of masking and distancing and requiring people to be vaccinated before entering indoor spaces, um, with all those measures, why have we not seen a a sharper decrease in areas that have taken those greater steps than we have in states that have not adopted those measures? Why is it going down everywhere?
1: Well, it it is going down everywhere, but it's going down at different rates. So for example, the case rate in Alaska, which has a lower vaccination rate than California, is about uh, three times the national average. So you can't actually see a difference from states to states. And so the mortality rate, for example, in Texas from COVID-19 is substantially higher than the mortality rate in California. And that's probably directly related to the vaccination rates between the two states.
0: And what about the effect of, of Omicron? Because it it uh, arrived so quickly and is departing almost as fast Does that sort of even out the regional differences when you have a a variant that burns like wildfire?
1: So you still see the differences in hospitalizations and deaths. You don't see the differences as much in the case rates because, unfortunately, one of the unique features of the Omicron variant was immune escape meaning it was capable of causing infection in people who had been previously infected or previously vaccinated. That having been said, the vaccines, particularly if you had received a booster, were still protective against serious disease, hospitalization and death, even with Omicron. <laughs>
0: What are your thoughts about um, the state of California is still asking people who are fully vaccinated to seriously consider wearing masks indoors, even though that's not required now in most of the state? If you are, if you are vaccinated in most of California, you can go into indoor public places without wearing a mask. So what, what is the ongoing benefit in your view of doing that, even if not required?
1: Well, the ongoing benefit, Larry, is we're actually still not at the metric of moderate transmission. So moderate transmission is fewer than 50 new cases per 100,000 population per week or a test positivity rate below 8%. And while we're below 8%, so Los Angeles is running about 4% test positivity right now. California is about uh, 6% test positivity. Neither the state nor the county is at a rate of 50 or fewer new cases per hundred thousand population per week. So, masks. Wearing still does have a benefit to try to cut down on that community transmission.
0: Chance for you to ask questions of Dr. Timothy Brewer, UCLA School of Public Health. We're at 866 893 KPECC, or you can email us at atcomments at kpecc.org. Please include your location as well as your first name. Yesterday, uh, Dr. Brewer, we had a question from a listener we didn't get a chance to answer, but it was a listener who said, um upon receiving my i think it was his second vac- vaccination he had um an episode of depression afterwards which he didn't think much of because he he figured you know he never connected it but then when he had his booster shot he had another episode of depression which he's not prone to he said and he was wondering if there have been uh, many other accounts of people having episodes of depression after vaccination. Have you heard anything about this?
1: So I've not heard of depression per se as a side effect of the vaccination. There is a study that was recently published uh, in the British Medical Journal looking at uh, the VA database here in the United States where they looked at over 150,000 COVID cases and compared them with approximately 11 million controls both contemporary and historic and they did find that in people who had had covid disease there was a 39% increased risk of depression over the course of one year after covid but i've i've not heard of data associating depression with vaccination
0: and do we know how much of that post covid depression is related to ongoing symptoms from COVID that or or are independent or are these people who for the most part have fully recovered physically from COVID but have depression as a lingering after effect?
1: Uh, excellent question, Larry, for which I'm I don't know the answer because they did not separate that out in in the article. They did not mention as to whether or not people had ongoing symptoms, so they didn't break the data out by that. But that would be very useful to know because we know that somewhere between 20 and 60 percent of people can have ongoing symptoms after having COVID, though the symptoms do seem to decline over time.
0: But I, I think it's natural for people to feel down. If you if you feel like you just can't get well, um you know, that's that's a significant prompter, I assume, for depression.
1: Certainly. And and that certainly could be a, a factor in this, but as I said, the study yeah. did not break it out by that question.
0: We're talking with Dr. Timothy Brewer, noted epidemiologist with UCLA School of Public Health. We're at 866-893-KPCC. Nancy in North Hollywood emailed us, when will the FDA approve protein-based vaccines similar to Canada and other countries? And she uses the Novavax vaccine as an example of that.
1: Excellent question. Uh, I assume that Novavax has turned their data into the FDA, but I I don't actually know that. I, I would assume they would move fairly quickly once they have the data, but I don't know if they've actually Receive the data, but Novidex trial data have been published, so presumably they are available to the, the FDA.
0: Yi in Santa Clarita emailed, said, I'm a latecomer in getting Omicron, presumably. I tested positive Sunday night. My symptoms so far, very, very mild, luckily. My question is, how long will I get natural immunity after recovery?
1: So in general, people start to make antibodies starting about 9 to 12 days after they've been infected and we figure by about 2 weeks you're really starting to be fully protected from from the virus so so figure somewhere between 9 and and 14 days.
0: Jacob emailed say ask why are we not using more antibody tests to determine if people are protected to satisfy the mandates.
1: In part because uh, the antibody tests take more time, they're they're more expensive than the antigen tests, and, and also because we still don't know exactly what the correlates of protection are. So we know that neutralizing antibodies are important, but exactly what level of neutralizing antibody you need, we're not sure.
0: And and is there also the issue that it doesn't tell you about T cells and other facets of the immune system that still might be primed to fight off uh, coronavirus?
1: Exactly. So it doesn't tell you anything about memory B cells or T cells. And what we saw, particularly with Omicron, is we saw a marked decline in protection against infection. And that was likely due to the drop in neutralizing antibodies. But in fact, the vaccine still worked reasonably well, over 80% protection against hospitalization, serious disease, and death. And that's likely because those memory B cells and T cells were kicking in. They weren't preventing infection, but they were preventing serious disease.
0: It's estimated that nearly three-quarters of Americans are, are now immune to Omicron because they've either been fully vaccinated and boosted or have gotten Omicron, <laughs> uh, which is stunning to me. That, that uh, estimate uh, from a story in AP, um, and the study is, is uh, out of the University of Washington. But, um, you know, is, is that herd immunity or are we close to herd immunity with that?
1: So, herd immunity is an interesting concept with coronaviruses. So, remember, there are four human-adapted coronaviruses that have been circulating for decades, and and you can get those infections again and again. So, it's estimated that uh, natural immunity to coronaviruses tends to wane after one or two years. So there may not be true herd immunity in the sense of lifelong protection against a coronavirus like there are for some other viruses.
0: 866-893-KPECC, or you can email us at comments at you know, For immunocompromised Americans... Um, they're in a position where some may be feeling left behind as the rest of the country is looking at coming out of COVID restrictions. Those who are immunocompromised and don't get the same sort of result from vaccination are still running significant risks, even as case rates decline, uh, going out and, and, uh, you know, running errands, being in public, going to public places and performances. Um, And, of course, immunocompromised, Uh, individuals have always undertaken more risk in going out in the world, even pre-COVID. What are your thoughts about how we can societally um, consider the risks of those individuals and what things will they individually need to do to help keep themselves safe?
1: Sure. So a couple of things. Uh, The most important thing is to remember we are all in this together. We're a community and Part of being a community is helping everyone else. So the kinds of things we can do, make sure that people who do respond to vaccines are fully vaccinated, are boosted, so that they're less likely to get infection and spread it to others. Staying home when you don't feel well, so that you're not transmitting any viruses, whether that's SARS-CoV-2, influenza, or other viruses to, to people practicing good hand hygiene, and when rates remain as high as they are now, wearing a mask in an indoor public space will help to protect all of us.
0: And, and you know, one of the things certainly is, is us accepting that there are going to be individuals ongoing for the foreseeable future who will choose to wear masks in indoor and sometimes even outdoor settings. And uh, important for us to be OK with that, not sort of take that as as um, some sort of moral failing that someone would, would choose for their own protection or the protection of others to wear a mask.
1: That's exactly right. Wearing a mask is not a political or an identity statement. It's a it's a public health act and a personal health act and we just need to separate those two issues out and recognize that just wearing a mask is something we do to protect ourselves and others around us. And that's actually a a good thing, not a bad thing.
0: Bill in Westlake emailed to ask, what is your advice about kids who are playing indoor sports like basketball? Should they wear masks?
1: So the most important thing, Bill, is for any child five and older who's eligible to be vaccinated to make sure that they are vaccinated, if they're due for their boosters, getting getting their booster shots. In terms of uh, sports like basketball and wearing masks, it's probably uh, a little less comfortable to wear masks, but, but doable. I would be guided by the local public health recommendations as to whether or not they would require masks for indoor sports depending on community transmission levels.
0: James in Encino asks... Do we have good statistics on the numbers of people who were fully vaccinated, had breakthrough cases, and and had long-term COVID as a result?
1: I'm not aware of any data on long-term COVID with Omicron. So we're still hopefully going to be getting those data coming out. In terms of breakthrough infection rates before Omicron under Delta, They were occurring at a rate of about 1% or less. So a number of studies, particularly out of Europe uh, and Israel, roughly between a half a percent and 1%. I'm not aware of data on long-term COVID in that smaller group of of individuals, but I'll try to look into that for the next time I'm on. All
0: right, sounds good. Stephen LaCognata tweets at Airtalk, so much of COVID public policy is still based on new case rates. Do we have any better idea of what percentage of uh, positive testing people, uh, especially mild or asymptomatic cases, are actually infectious? And for how long?
1: So in general, you're infectious anywhere from one to two days before you're symptomatic up to about five days after you become symptomatic. So most of the transmission occurs in that period. We do know that people who are symptomatic tend to transmit more than people who are not symptomatic. And we also know that there are a few people who transmit a lot And there are a lot of people who don't transmit pretty much at all. We estimate that about 20% of infected individuals are responsible for about 80% of the transmission. But other than that, it's really hard to know who's going to be a transmitter or not.
0: Susan in Venice says, uh, are there tests available to find if our immunity has waned after being vaccinated? We've, we've talked about antibody tests, which measure a portion of immune response. But we haven't really talked, Dr. Brewer, in light of Susan's questions about uh, the, the deeper workup that can be done to look at people's immune response. When are those tests called for?
1: So, in general, we actually don't follow individuals to check their immunity over time. There are studies ongoing looking at that, both from the original trials of the COVID vaccine. So, both the Pfizer, Moderna, and and Johnson & Johnson vaccine trials, they continue to follow those individuals up to two years after vaccination. And in a subset, they have been doing tests of the immune response. In general, what we see is that the neutralizing antibodies tend to start to fall after about two months and drop more after about four to six months, The rate of decline is a little less with Moderna than it is with Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson. All three vaccines, though, actually maintain a T-cell level immunity as much as six to eight months after vaccination. And memory B-cells can be measured after all three vaccines as well as much as six to eight months after vaccination.
0: And if Susan wanted just an antibody test, her, her primary care doctor could order that for her?
1: He could. He or she could.
0: All we right. Uh, right. Uh, let's see if we have other questions here. Um, uh, I think that's actually... Oh, no, we have one from Beth. the Final question. If I wear an N95 mask, can I return to my gym? Also, how likely is it for someone to get infected indoors if they are masked, wearing an N95 uh, mask, but surrounded by others who aren't masked?
1: So the N95 is probably the highest level of protection that you can routinely get available to you in the community. They work very, very well. They reduce the risk of infection somewhere between 82 and 96 percent. So that's a great level of protection. If you're in Los Angeles County in a gym, you need to be wearing a mask indoors. If you're in San Diego County, you, you don't. So it will vary from county to county, but wearing an NDI-5 is the best type of mask to wear, particularly if you've had it properly fitted.
0: Dr. Brewer, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. We learned so much from your expertise and and really appreciate your, your thoughtfulness and generosity with your time.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in L.A. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com at kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle.